Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Elena Ramirez Richardson, and I'm the director of the Young Leaders Program at the Heritage Foundation. Today's program, Democratic Socialism, a warning from Venezuela, gives us a personal perspective of two young men who were raised in the socialist country and now seek liberty in the United States. As we go through the program today, I invite you to ask questions through the questions box you see below. I even invite you to post comments uh, because I really want this to be an interactive event, so please engage with us. A year ago, the United States found itself at the beginning of a two-week lockdown. The government had instructed its citizens not to leave their homes, close their businesses, and not physically interact with family and friends. Leading up to this lockdown, many stood in line to enter supermarkets, and when you finally entered, you were met with bare shelves. It's almost as if we had gotten a glimpse of what government control in a socialist regime could even taste like. As I, as I introduce our three panelists, I would like to invite all of them to join me at screen, on screen at this time. Jorge Galicia and Andres Gularte are two recent university graduates who lived in Venezuela under a democratically elected socialist regime. Massive blackouts and political persecution, both Jorge and Andres are now speakers with the Fund for American Studies. And they're going to talk about, the, they're on a speaking circuit talking about socialism and the threats that it poses, not just to the United States, but worldwide. Our last panelist is Dr. Lee Edwards, Distinguished Fellow of Conservative Thought at the Heritage Foundation, who has highlighted that throughout its history, socialism has supported the belief that a system can make better decisions for the people than they can for themselves. Dr. Edwards is also a co-founder and chairman emeritus of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Welcome to the program today, gentlemen. Thank you, Helena. I'm so excited for the, for the program today, and I actually want to start off both with Jorge and Andres. You both are raised in Venezuela, went to college, and Jorge, you even went to law school there. What was it like being raised in Venezuela? Well, uh, first, thank you so much for the Heritage Foundation to host this event. And I would like to tell the people that being born in Venezuela and raised over there, you know, it, it, we, we used to have a really prosperous country. I can remember when I was a child and my mom, all the effort that she put being a single mom with two children and no father in the house, we had everything we needed. I mean, I, I really had a really good childhood, you know, spending time with my family. And we, we didn't need anything at that point. But something that is really peculiar about the history in Venezuela is that eventually a few years later, after Chavez took power and things started to really, really go down and going south, we just saw that, you know, that contrast of, of once having everything that we needed and it started to not having so many stuff. Eventually to reach an appointment in 2013, 2015, where we didn't even know if we wanted to have three meals a day. I mean, I, I at some point, I just got used to, and I still have, you know, the, uh, the consequences of that, of being used to maybe just eat two meals a day. You know, that's something that people have to get used in a country and have to get used to from one day to another, because you know the government in Venezuela, they didn't care if people didn't like that, they didn't care if they didn't like that, their liberties were going to be taken, and if their lives were going to be left out of options, and mainly all your options were just what the government wanted you to be. So, I mean, I, I can't complain from everything that I had when I was a child, but I just think for some moment, 
what it will be like to be born today in Venezuela in this crisis. Well, if I had the same circumstances, a mom, a single mom without any formal education, you know, a far, not far in the house, but this economy, I will probably be like, you know, all the ch childs that I saw when I used to go to college from my, my house, you know, childs eating garbage in the street, being the first in line in restaurants, but not in the front door, but in the back door. Because, you know, people wanted to be the first when they came out of garbage. And all, more, mainly of those people were used to be middle-class families. And now they are in the street fighting for whatever they can each day. That's the contrast that people had to lead through in Venezuela, from going to having a life to your life being taken by the regime. Jorge? Well, I, I can definitely tell you that I have seen the contrast between you know, being raised as a middle class, um, you know, I, my family was part of the middle class uh, in Venezuela. So during my early years, uh, you know, I was, uh, I, when I was a child, I used to have great birthday parties. I used to have the latest versions of, versions of my favorite video games. I mean, my life was, re was really, really great. And for me and my whole family, but then since at least the year 2013, 2014, that situation changed almost completely uh, to the point where in my house, for example, we don't even have constant water supply. Uh, electricity is constantly failing. Food, food is really hard to come by. I, I stopped eating in the, in the quantities that I wanted to eat when I was in Venezuela in the year 2014 and later. Uh, I mean, I saw how my life transformed to the, to the worst uh, when I was there and it was completely depressing, you know. I, I, I actually I remember this uh, episode. Uh, we we were in in Venezuela and we saw a homeless guy in um, um, you know outside my house and my mom tried to help him by giving him some food and stuff and and he said something really smart to us. He said, uh, "Listen, don't, don't be worried about me. I've been you know I've been homeless pretty much my whole life. I'm wor I'm more worried about you because at least I know that I'm able to." you know eat out i eat from some some trash can i i can i can take the leftovers and I'm, I'm i'm gonna be fine with it but i know that you people that are from the middle class you're gonna be in the same situation as me in some in, in at some point in the future and you're not gonna be able to eat from the trash can so when that when he says that to me and i was oh yeah that's that's actually true and I, I don't see myself eating from the trash can even if i'm starving so you know seeing that contrast contrast going from a middle class situation to going into well uh, poorness basically it's, it's 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 really it teach you a lot you know it's like uh, you you start you learn how to value things you learn how to you know even having it's, you, you learn how to value simple stuff like having water in your in, in your pipe uh, having a light to turn on you, you all of those things that you take for granted in your life you you notice that those things can be quickly gone if, if you if you if you follow the wrong ideas Wow, that's a quick contrast of having your needs met to both of you talking about dumpster diving and going through the garbage in order to um, to eat a meal. So that's that's quite a contrast. Uh, in the same kind of vein, Andres, you, you've spoken to me about how when you were in college, you actually self-identified as a socialist. Um, could you talk a little bit more about what was it that attracted you to that? And then what would you consider yourself today? And you know, if there was any change, how would you go about that you went through that change? Well, yeah, many people don't know that 
uh, well, because it's something that you, I usually don't go and tell people that I used to believe that socialism was actually a proper way to lead societies, and mainly was because two two reasons. One is because the indoctrination that you get in Venezuela from before, middle school going to high school is something that where they tell you that you know Chavez was the biggest guy in the world, that he led the revolution, he was like Jesus on earth, and they they do that literally. There's even a People that uh, when they when they pray, they include Chavez in a, in a weird way where he becomes Jesus in his own way. So you you have to understand how that impacted young people. And also members of my family at that point, the beginning of the years of Chavez, they used to believe that, well, maybe this guy is not going to be as bad as the governments that we had before. Because in Venezuelan history, the governments before Chavez, they did pretty a lot of bad mistakes. Uh, really a, a sort of, of mistake like nationalization of oil industry and many other stuff, inflation. And that led to people to believe that an outsider like Hugo Chavez was the guy. And my family used to believe that. So I had to take those two influences. And I actually didn't dread socialism. I was just following what they were telling me. But I, I, I love to discuss with people. So when I entered college, I was, you know, arguing with everyone that was socialist this and socialist that. But it wasn't like only four months after I entered college where we in Venezuela, that was uh, 2014, in the beginning of 2014, we experienced something that I never thought that I, I was going to experience, especially as a, as a college student. That were the protests, the first, the first like uh, national protest in Venezuela. When I start seeing my friends that they didn't talk like me, my friends were not socialists, but my friends just going out speaking against that government, just speaking for freedom. I started believing that I, I hit bottom. I was in the wrong side. I didn't. I, I didn't work. Actually, my my ideas were not the proper way to fix a society. I still wanted to help people, but I understood that the only way to do that is to not only defend liberty, but to fight for liberty. So I just left Marx and all that from one side and went along with my classmates to fight for freedom. I just do 180 degrees. I started joining many organizations, Students for Liberty, the student movement against Maduro. Well, and now I'm, I'm traveling to college campuses here in the US and speaking to students that they I see in some of them where I used to be before a college student that some saw problems in the world, thought that maybe socialism was the idea, but sometimes you have to hit bottom to realize that that's not the proper way. And I want to avoid people here to hit bottom before they realize that that's not the way, just like I did. Well, now I consider myself a freedom fighter because like, there is no other way that a society can actually prosper, but that, that is through freedom and not through the, through the control that socialism imposes in people. I love it that you consider yourself a freedom fighter now. Uh, I think that's that's real radical change. That's phenomenal. Dr. Edwards, I want to turn to you. You know, a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, it's because it's never been tried before, right? Socialism in the in the truest sense. And I mean, we're getting a small, a small taste here with Venezuela. Could you talk a little bit more about, you know, people sometimes even say Nordic countries, right? Like that's that's what we need to aspire to. Could you talk a little bit more about those kind of aspects? Of course, Helena, and I just let me say I'm so pleased to be here and sharing this uh, opportunity with Jorge and Andres and, and listening to their stories and, and how, how, how inspiring it is to realize that they went against the grain and began speaking up for freedom and liberty and democracy against a very powerful government. So, so you, are, you are a wonderful example to us. So thank you for that. You know, Helena, there, there are a couple of myths about, about socialism which keep uh, prevailing again and again and again. And one of them you just mentioned is that, well, socialism has never failed because it's never been tried. 
So I thought to myself, it doesn't sound quite right. And so I began doing a little research. And these facts are out there, but it so happens that three very different countries, Israel, India, and the United Kingdom or Great Britain, all three tried socialism after World War II. And not just for a day or two, but for almost a quarter of a century, trying to go the socialist way. Somehow that you could bring about a utopia by just turning over problems to the government by nationalizing production and transportation and what have you. And what was the result after that quarter of a century? Well, uh, Israel had an inflation rate of 400% annual. That's probably almost as bad as down in Venezuela. Uh, India, half of India was living in poverty, half. Just think about that. That would be 150 Americans living in poverty today. And finally, the UK, United Kingdom, was known as the sick man of Europe after 25 years of socialism. And so what happened after 25 years, these three countries said, basta, <laughs> enough. <laughs> and we're going to go a different route. We're going to go uh, not, a, not a road to serfdom, but a road to liberty, a road to freedom. And they began adopting free enterprise, and if I may use the word, capitalist ways of solving problems. And what happened after five, in some cases, as long as 10 years? Well, today, Israel is one of the most prosperous countries in the Middle East and around the world, known as a leader in high tech because they abandoned socialism and look to the individual. They look to the entrepreneur to bring prosperity. India now has the largest middle class in the free world. Some 250 million Indians now have joined the middle class. No more poverty for them. And finally, the United Kingdom, through a wonderful leader, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, denationalized turned to the individual, turned to the entrepreneur, turned to free enterprise to turn around Great Britain so that today Great Britain is so well off that it can separate itself from the European Union and go on its own. So when anybody says to you uh, that it's never failed because it's never been tried, it has been tried and it was rejected thoroughly, completely, totally, because they realized these three countries of Israel, India, and the United Kingdom that freedom works and socialism doesn't. Now, I know that you all three actually talk about the Nordic countries as well, right? So I actually want to, Lee, do you want to quickly talk about Nordic countries of, are they socialists? And then I'll, <laughs> I'll let Jorge and Andres also chime in. Well, my, my, Helena, my favorite answer for this is I like to quote the prime minister of Denmark came to Washington a few years ago. He's at the National Press Club looking out at two or three or 400 journalists. And he said, I want to begin my remarks today by saying that Denmark is not a socialist country. <laughs> well, you could almost hear all the journalists going, oh, what? Wait a minute now. That's not right. No, no, no. It, it is no. And he said, no, no. We are a free enterprise country. Uh, and again, all the intakes of breath. And he said, now at the same time, uh, we are free enterprise when it comes to goods and services and transportation 
and energy and all the other things, but we do have a welfare state. And he said, I have to say, I have to say that it's not cheap and that the average income tax for the average Denmark citizen is 50%, 50% of the income tax. So uh, if somebody says to you, well, we want to be like Denmark, you're, the answer would be, well, now what are you paying in your income, personal income tax right now? Are you willing to give up half of your paycheck, half of your working two and a half days every of a week for the government and for welfare, or do you would prefer to, to try a little more of a more measured response to the size and the influence of government? So don't let anybody, Elena, tell you that Denmark is a socialist country. They ain't. Jorge and Andres, would you guys like to comment as well? I know you guys talk about this quite actively. Yeah, of course. And uh, there is another uh, Nordic, Nordic country that I have studied a little bit, which is uh, Norway, because, you know, Norway and Venezuela have some similarity that and both of, the, of those, those countries have a big oil production. And people need to remember that the, the first major step Venezuela gave into socialism didn't even happen with Hugo Chavez, happened in, the 1970, in 1975 when we nationalized our oil industry. And, you know, Norway and Venezuela took different paths. Uh, Norway decided to uh, use the, the revenue coming from the oil industry to, sit, to and allocate that in a, in, a, in a saving fund. And then they reinvested that fund to, in, in, in stocks and whatever. And then because of that uh, economic thinking, they managed to have a huge uh, fund that they used to, to finance uh, retirement programs or whatever. But they, what they did first is they managed to save a lot of money first. In Venezuela, we did probably the opposite. We started to receive a lot of, uh, thanks to the nationalization, we started to receive a lot of uh, money coming from the oil, uh, oil industry. And the government started to spend like crazy to create a bunch of new social programs, subsidies. And basically, people became dependent on all of this, uh, um, you know, uh, welfare. And uh, and because of that, when 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 the money when we run out of ran out of money, that's when our chaos and our tragedy actually began in the in the 80s. We started to have massive levels of inflation, unemployment. Uh, people were really desperate because the economy was not working anymore as it used to be. Uh, and and actually that this is what created the, the the environment for someone like Hugo Chavez to appear in the first place. So in Venezuela, we actually had. That, that's what I call this is this was all of this was through made through democratic means. So we actually had democratic socialism before Hugo Chavez, and democratic socialism is what brought someone like Hugo Chavez to power. So uh, what so a, a country like Nor like, like Norway is not is not uh, a socialist at all. They follow free market principles. They actually save a lot of money, and that's why their their economy is so prosperous. If you compare that to what's going on in Venezuela, it's like completely different. Absolutely, and to expand on what or expand on what Jorge was saying, and also Dr. Lee. Well, I, I don't see the governments in Denmark and Sweden and Norway, you know, taking the means of production of or of the entrepreneurs or of the businesses. I don't see them attacking freedom of press, attacking freedom of movement, attacking freedom of speech. I don't see their people being so oppressed that they have to go out to the streets and literally expect to be killed by their own government officers, by the police or by the military. So I, I don't see the similarities between Denmark, uh, Sweden, Norway, with Venezuela. What we actually saw 
that were socialist policies, price control, expensive price control, price, uh, currency control. So literally the government being in every single part of a society that they do have a welfare state, of course, and they have a strong welfare state, like Dr. Lee were saying. And they have a lot of free market uh, in, their, in their countries, but we don't see any similarity between that and what is happening. And it started happening in Venezuela since before Hugo Chavez took place, just like Jorge was saying. So it's basically a misconception that many people have here in the US about what socialism is. Because I, I, not even in those countries, they, they actually argue they're socialists or not, like Dr. Lee was saying. The only people that argue that are here in the US. So people that are not even Nordic are the ones that saying that Nordic countries are socialists, but even they say that they are. So it's a misconception of what actually socialism is. People I, I had, you know, here when I go to college campuses, students telling me that, well, if you don't like socialism, then why you, do you use public roads? And then you, why, why do you care about police or fire? There, there is a misconception that something that if there's something public, that means that you're a socialist. And you know, theories and ideologies are not something that you just take out of a book and implement it exactly like that in society. There is a range of, of, of way to do it. And there is actually to be pragmatic. And we've seen that in the Nordic countries. They are being pragmatic, their people chose what they had. And the other thing that differentiates that from actually socialist country is that in the future, they want to change that, having a more strong officer or a less strong officer, more free market or less, they can choose that. We cannot do that in Venezuela because the government is the one that chooses for us. So that's what actually socialism is. That's not what we see in the Nordic countries. And that's what we don't want to see here in the US when people try to say that they want to do is uh, Nordic socialism, nothing more far from reality than that. You know, this uh, leads me to my next question, which, you know, when you think about people choosing things for themselves, I think of the young people and how they don't, they want to choose everything. They want to customize everything. So it does surprise me, Dr. Edwards, I'm going to go, go to you first, in which I then want Jorge and Andres to also kind of give a perspective from younger, from a younger generation is why is it that younger people, I mean, this is an unprecedented amount, uh, you know, capitalism has brought out so many people out of poverty who formerly ate out of dumpsters and out of garbage. I mean, we, we were able to see this and yet young people are attracted to the idea of socialism. Does this concern you, Dr. Edwards? And what could we, what could, you know, what is your message to them? And then for Jorge and Andres, what would you like to see? What would, what would be your message to a younger audience? Well, I think that if we look back at the last 10 years or so, and if you're, if you're in your early 20s or even late 20s, and you look back and you'll say, well, we had this terrible, great recession. Uh, we had uh, the stock market uh, uh, not performing properly. You had unemployment soaring and so forth. And so young people are saying, well, capitalism has failed. What is the alternative? Let's turn to something else. And there have been political leaders who have come forward and said, well, we think that we can provide a better answer, and that is through socialism. Two things, and Jorge and, and Andres have both talked to this, and that is that if you go the socialist route, choice is gone. And this is something that you've talked about as well, Elena. You can forget about choice because Choices are not made by you, the individual, but are made by the government. Uh, do you want to give up that kind of freedom, that kind of ability to make choices in your life to a bunch of bureaucrats in a far off capital who don't know anything about your 
situation. Uh, so I think that there also is, and we have to be uh, uh, candid about this, there is a tendency among young people, God bless them, to say, oh, utopia is possible. <laughs> and so that socialists say, yes, we can bring about a better life for everyone by ignoring human nature. Uh, and so therefore, uh, they will say, this is the alternative to capitalism. This is the alternative to the markets because sometimes people get hurt uh, some people, times people uh, do not get all that they want to get in a, um, in a totally capitalist society. But we have here in America is, is a, frankly, is a mixed economy, is a mixed society in which choice still matters, uh, freedom still matters, liberty still matters, and out of that can come prosperity for all. Jorge Andres, do you want to say your message to a younger audience? Sure. You know, I, I, you know, I've been, I've been, me and Andres have been traveling through college campuses to give, um, to share our life stories with younger audiences. And one thing I have noticed, and I, I think this is the reason why socialism might be so popular among younger young people, is because you know, major, I do believe that there are problems in America. I mean. I love America, I think America is a super great country and I love all of the opportunities that I have seen here, but I do believe that some, there are some issues. Like for example, I believe healthcare, healthcare costs are, are, are super expensive. College tuition is also super expensive. But guess what? These problems are not because of free market and free uh, and competition, but also because of uh, government interference in the and, and regulations. And, 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 and that's what we as conservatives need to start uh, teaching people, you know, that we address these problems and we need to start giving them solutions because sometimes, especially among conservatives, what I what I what I what I'm used to here is people saying, yeah, America is the best country on earth, and that's probably true. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say otherwise, but that doesn't mean that we have problems and we need to start addressing those those problems and offering solutions to to young people because if they if all they hear from one side is, is is denial and the other side starts uh, talking about the real issues and they offer their solutions well the the, the, the option for them is going to be pretty pretty simple and straight and straightforward right so that that's that's my message you know to keep um talking the truth and 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 offering good solutions free market solutions that are actually going to improve a lot of aspects that can be improved within the american uh, society right and and uh and 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 works toward that goal that's that's my message i completely agree with Jorge what's saying i mean and we also what dr edwards are saying i mean uh, we we see that many of these young students that believe in socialism or what they think is socialism is because they feel problems in america and they think of ourselves problems if america is a total capitalist country but like many people say then the problem the solution has to be complete opposite which is socialism but just like dr edward was saying i mean we in america is a mix there is a lot of government intervention compared to other other countries so that's why even where we see the economic index from economic freedom index from heritage the us is not in the in the top countries precisely because there is a lot of government intervention in many industries here but I just I just had to go back to thinking what uh, what I used to think when I, I was a, in self-identified as a socialist. 
So I, when I speak about that, I prefer to speak to the ones that are not socialists. Because when I changed my view, it was not only because of the context that was going on around the country, but also by the influence of my closest friends. Because when you open up the key to your mind, to your life, to your friends, and well, they, they just start sharing experiences and, and thoughts and everything, you're, that's where you start realizing that when you think, maybe that the perspective that you have is not the, real, the right one. So thanks to many of my friends that they start picking me about freedom and libertarianism and conservatives and all of that. I start realizing why well, I never heard about that. So that seems like an option way we, we better have in the country. So I like to think that the way we can change the, the, that, that trend that basically it is of uh, young people believing that they want socialism, uh, and, but it's actually a misconception of that. It's actually reaching out to them in a way with respect, but also with empathy to understand why they think that. Before actually saying, no, you are a bunch of, I don't know, idiots and ignorance. It's, it's thinking, why do they think like that? Yeah. Once we know the why, and that we have that key of understanding the why, it's going to be easier to actually show them, well, you know, what you think is socialism is not. Socialism is Venezuela, it's Cuba. You have to use to be chilling at a point. It's China. That's socialism. The other point what you have is not compatible with the socialism. If you actually want socialism, just go back to you go to Venezuela. We can give you a free ticket over there. Yeah, but what I you actually you want, <laughs> the lifestyle you want, is not socialism. You cannot have the lifestyle you have in the US and the one you would like to have in Venezuela or in Cuba. So that's what I would like to, I will, I also like to speak with the students. And I really enjoy speaking with students that they don't think like me because I see myself speaking to, my, to a, a younger me. Well, I, I wanna say, Andres, I am so grateful, right? Because you talked about sharing your perspective and being open-minded. And this is why the work that you guys are doing through the Fund for American Studies is so important. Going to college campuses and having these conversations and just sharing your experience and your perspective. So thank you again for being with us today because, you know, again, the work that you guys are doing with an audience, um, you know, that is not necessarily one to say, well, you know, we just need to try it. And you're just like, I, I've lived it, right? Like the perspective that you guys are sharing today is one that's very invaluable. And so I thank you again for being here today. Um, I wanna, we've already had a lot of questions come up. So I wanna ask one last question um, about, you know, Jorge and Andres, what gives you hope? You guys are both now, you, you are both asylum seekers. Why do you wanna come to the United States and what brings you, what gives you hope to be here? Let's start with Andres, sorry. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, when I when I came to the United States, it's, I, I actually came thanks for a, you know, an interview with the Cato Institute at the beginning. And I actually was forced to stay here. I was forced because the situation was so bad and, the, uh, and specifically a lot of personal problems that I have right there with many of the collectivos over there. I was forced to stay here, but I'm also lucky about that. I mean, that situation bring what we have, what I have right now, the opportunity to have, you know, a plethora of things that I never and never, never imagined that I could have when I was in Venezuela. You know, it's a completely different perspective of life, thanks to the liberty that the U.S. had. So, you know, what gives me hope is my experience in these two years in the U.S., realizing that that thing that you read in books about separation of powers, but usually people think that, you know, separation of powers is just the executive, the Supreme Court and Congress and all of that and the local governments. But I have come to realize that it's just more deep than that. Separation of powers is the business. A business has power. The citizens, they have power. Each state, they have power. You know, it goes all the way through the society. And that separation of power is what keeps a republic going. We didn't have that in Venezuela. Chavez managed 
through his old populism and socialism to destroy every single level of the separation of power from the top to the bottom. And we are we were left with any, with any other options and choices. I don't see that here in the US. Yes, there is a trend of socialism, but I see hope that the whole amount of powers that the US has as a country, as a nation, coming from the citizens to the top uh, uh, executive powers and everything, that gives me hope. That gives me hope that any change that may can, that some politicians may try to bring down that system is going to have a backlash. It's going to face challenges, not only by you know the, the businesses and the, and, the, and the politicians, but mainly because of the citizenship. That's what gives me hope of the United States. That freedom that they speak about, the separation of powers, is in the people, everyday people. That's mainly what, what I think is the best thing that the United States had. Yes, there is many problems, but the first and main thing that they had is they don't, they are not going to shy away to fight against freedom if they had to. So that's what we used to saw in Venezuela, you know, when we're in the street fighting against everything. I, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I always, uh, when I went away, well, certainly influenced me a lot was uh, Martin Luther King. When I, when I, you know, the, the history of uh, civic power that the, the U.S. had always to fight against any government uh, overreach is what we, are, we wanted to do in Venezuela. The difference is that when you go over there, well, there is a chance that you're gonna either going to be killed, kidnapped, or tortured, or you're gonna, gonna not going to see your family. At, at least here we see that people want to speak out if they want to. And if they are, they're going to be heard. We don't have that in Venezuela. But of course, well, one of the other things that I, I, I worry about is that maybe people forget that and they start giving too much power to the executive, to Congress and to the Supreme Court. And they forget that what built this country was neither of those three powers, but built this country were everyday people. That's where the power relies in the United States. Well, by the way, Jorge, if you can address the same way that, that Andres did, what concerns you and then what gives you hope? Because I, I think that was a really valuable. Okay. Question. Well, let me, let me start uh, with uh, what concerns me. And I think right now my major concern for America is there are uh, the levels of spending. I think they are way too high. Uh, and it worries to me a lot to see how the deficit and the debt and, and, and the spending just keeps growing regardless of which political party is in control of the federal government. We see how the, 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 the Senate and the House and the presidency, they keep flipping between Democrats and Republicans. And apparently that doesn't matter anymore because the spending just keeps growing. And, I would say that that's the main similarity I see uh, with, uh, if we compare Venezuela to America, especially Venezuela in the, in the early years, we weren't able to control our our spending. And if we if we here in America are not able to do this to, to, to control and to balance our budget eventually, well, we might end up in a really bad situation. But you know, I still have a lot of hope. I uh, I, I I'm a believer in God, so I know God will help us. And I also uh, I, I have I have traveled to, through the country and I have met so many great patriots around America that care about individual liberty, that care about fiscal conservatism. So, uh, you know, I, I didn't I never saw something like that in Venezuela. Honestly, majority of people were even unaware of 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 of, of these issues, or they were uh, openly advocating for socialism. We I don't think we had in the early years of Hugo Chavez, for example, a huge uh, conservative or classical or classical liberal uh, political aggrupation, and I do see, I, I, I do think that we have that here in in America. So I have a lot of hope in that, in 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 that, you know. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I actually I really love America. I, I um, 
I remember when I uh, first arrived to Miami, I the first moment I took a walk outside the airport, it felt, it felt so great to be able to, you know, to be, to use my cell phone out in the street without the fear of, of expecting some uh, thief and, and to, to take a, to take my property, to take my cell phone, because that's something that really happens in Venezuela, a lot of criminality. Uh, to be able to say whatever I am without expecting, uh, you know, police persecution as I suffered in Venezuela because of uh, of my involvement during the uh, demonstrations in the year 2017. I mean, so many aspects that people really take for granted that they shouldn't be taken for granted because, um, you know, if they could be lost and and we need to fight to keep those things operating the way they are. And we do we do that through defending capitalism and free market and rejecting socialism. Thank you guys for, for that perspective and for sharing. Um, Dr. Edwards, we're gonna start the first question with you. Um, one of our uh, attendees, Robert Pineda, has uh, commented saying that his dad and his parents escaped Cuba in the 1960s. That's actually my same story as well. And is what's happening in Venezuela similar to, to what happened in Cuba in the 60s? Well, as a matter of fact, the Cubans are very active in Venezuela. Uh, in so many in the security, uh, uh, economic area, uh, and how to hold on to political power. There are many, many, many Cubans right now. So they are trying to, to export the revolution in, uh, in Cuba to, to, uh, to Nicaragua, and, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to Venezuela, and to keep it going. Um, and Nicaragua as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and Nicaragua as well. Uh, my goodness, Ortega is still with us after too many years. That's, that's something that uh, we need to do something about. So uh, there is a there is there is that danger, of course, of a triangle of uh, powers between Cuba, uh, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, uh, which must be dealt with by American foreign policy people. So yes, I see many many parallels. Uh, they are uh, troublesome and they demand action. Let me say, if I may, that, you know, it's, Helena, it's so easy to, if you've got a problem, to turn it over to the government. And I think a lot of young people right now are thinking, well, that's the way to go. If, it's, if there's a problem, just turn it over to the government. That's the easy way out. And here we have the example of Jorge and Andreas who are saying, no, we're not going to accept that. We're going to challenge that, speak out about that. And I think they're hopefully, and I'm sure they are, inspiring other young people to stand up for freedom, for liberty, for free speech, for free assembly, and to say that we're not going to go the easy route and always look to government, but take that tougher route, and that is that way of individual freedom and individual responsibility. 100%. Our next question is for our special guest, Jorge Andres. Um, and the question is, have you encountered leftist groups who try to censor your presentations at American colleges and universities? Well, again, I, uh, I did have a couple of experiences. For example, in uh, I think it was in Indianapolis. I went to uh, a campus there. And honestly, I don't know who did it, but some people within the within the campus vandalized all of our flyers promoting the event and they throw it into the, into the garbage and stuff like that. Uh, same thing happened in Montana uh, last year, and also in at, uh, in at some campus in Texas, there was a group of leftist uh, students outside the room, and they were 
uh, screaming me and stuff to the people entering the event and you know they were gathering like outside the place but none of them uh, actually went to the actual uh presentation so and they i mean they allow the thing to happen but they were they are there like annoying people so yeah i did have seen some of that um uh, you know uh bad uh, uh bad behavior coming from some students but in general i would say that at least i have been really well received in majority of places where i have been and uh even even from Sometimes I, I I find people that disagree with my message and you know what we we engage in conversation and that's it. So yeah, so far my experience have been great. I have seen some of the, some of this some of those uh, bad experiences, but it has not been the common uh, denominator for me at least. Andres, any any other thoughts? Well, actually, I think that uh, I send all the lefties to. The Jorge's presentation because I, 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 none of mine have been vandalized like the way that some of them of Jorge were done before. But I can say that yes, just like Jorge, we have. Well, I think that the majority always of people that go to my presentations are people that don't disagree with me. I will thank. I have been thankful that you know they, we can have a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion, civil discussion about that, and you know share experiences and try to find out why everyone everyone thinks like that. I've been thankful that I haven't been facing that kind of backlash that many other. Uh, speakers go to college campuses and they see them not only vandalized, but they can see even that their, their life have been threatened by people that they disagree with. I think that what we both have experienced that actually is a civil discourse should be an example of what all representations should be of any other topic, not just our topic of Venezuela, but whatever. That you know that people can discuss whatever they want in an actually civil discourse and that we respect with, with each other. We have been thankful about that, and that's also one of the reasons that uh, we 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 think that's the way at, the way that we should you know reach out to young people in a way that that's the environment where we are not fighting each other but well we understand that that's not always the case but so far we have been thankful that we haven't been threatened like many others yeah wonderful our last question is going to shift a little bit and it comes from lynn walsh could you talk about how socialists are using identity politics as an appeal to to why democracy does not work and why socialism su supposedly prevents inequality dr edwards i'll start with you well, the, the idea that uh, uh, that what this is, is is a direct attack on on the individual uh, and trying to get us to think only in terms of groups. And of course, this is a socialist uh, uh, ideal is to let's not be concerned about the individual, but let's think only about the group. Let's think only about the largest possible uh, conglomeration of, of people. So that must be rejected because America is built on the idea of individual freedom and responsibility of testing and of being able to produce and go as far and as high as our talent and our ambition can take us. And that still is the, the ideal, that still is the American ideal. And it's the very antithesis of what identity politics is, which is trying to, to group all of this, to herd us all together, and that should be rejected. Andres, you want to say any comments? Sure. I, well, I would say I, what I don't like about this, uh, all of this movement of identity politics is that they, they, I think many people are trying to divide the American society. And uh, I would say probably that's, uh, that's, that's a strategy that they are using because I think Hugo Chavez also did the same. He divided us poor versus rich, you know, uh, 
indigenous people versus colonizers, this kind of uh, of rhetoric. And uh, I think that's uh, that was one of the main tools used by by Hugo Chavez to to you know to to reach power eventually and and to try to control society because when when you have a, a divided society, well, that's uh, that's uh, the easiest path for a populist and a socialist to to, to take control of of, of of the institution. So I I I like to think about individuals regardless of race, sexuality, uh, whatever. I only I only care about individual rights and I don't care about uh, collective rights. Yeah, to expand a little bit about that, about that, I think that, you know, we all are unique in many, many ways. We have unique tastes and, and every, all stuff. And if we, I find a group, a group of people that, you know, share some things that I like or some things that I, I feel represented by, we can have groups about that. But that's an, an spontaneous way and a spontaneous order that happens in society when people want to, you know, assemble themselves. That's what free association is all about. The problem is when it comes to the top to the bottom, when government tries to and uh, you know profile people by groups and start assembling something that they shouldn't because that's it's an spontaneous order that's how free uh, freedom works when people just want to assemble themselves so when you start having not only that from the government also laws and also all kinds of controls you're going to start having problems because you know if we start thinking that the, the government is the one that has to say what groups are what groups are not and where you can assemble where you cannot assemble then we're just going back to the old Marxist way that you have to have, instead of having classes, fighting against other classes, just like Jorge was saying, we will have, in Chavez, in Chavez used to put, you know, indigenous people against the colonizers, then we're going to have to hear people starting having internal classes, you're going to have race classes and race fights and, and other kind of uh, fight between groups. And that's what happened when you start imposing groups by the top to the bottom. That's never the way it should be. Groups are always, uh, the way they happen is from a spontaneous order. The, the American Revolution happened by a bunch of individuals that they, they share the same thought and ideals, they assemble and they achieved something. They didn't came from top to bottom to tell them, you have to assemble, you have to do this. That's the way a free society works. And I think that's something that many people don't understand. And the danger that uh, comes with that is that the government is going to start saying what group is, is the way it should be. And that's never the, the path to uh, freedom. There is so much that we could have continued this conversation on. So we might have to continue with the part two. Jorge, Andres, and Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for your thoughtful discussion today. And thank you, the audience members who attended this program today. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you very soon. Thank you all for coming. Thank, thank you for the invitation. Bye.